You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. So you gave a round of applause for that. That's pretty cool. Hey, uh, yeah, you may be new to our church, but Fathers in the Field, incredible program uh, where we pair um, godly men in our church to serve as a mentor father to fatherless boys inside our church and beyond. We're the first church in Arizona to do that. Let's, go, let's say amen. Isn't it? It's so cool. So please, uh, single moms and uh, those of you friends with single moms, make sure you spread the word to your neighbors, your friends, co-workers, that we got a church that really cares a lot about fatherhood, and we want to help restore that, providing faith and forgiveness and uh, a pathway forward for that. So anyway, this morning we're starting a brand new message series uh, called Journey, and the Christian life is a journey. There's a lot of ups and downs, and so we're going to be getting into that. We're in the Gospel of John, chapter 7 is where we're going to be, but we've got a number of announcements I want to share with you before we get there, uh, some updates. So many of you know I've been on vacation Uh, So I took three weeks off. This is the first time I've ever in my life taken that kind of time off. The first week I was down in Mexico. I picked up my son at I-68 Mission. Uh, They they had just completed a house build. It's the second house build my family's been a part of uh, this year, building uh, homes and helping families get into a home. So I was so proud of uh, that work that's been going on. We picked him up, went down to the beach, and spent the week on the beach. It was Incredible. I normally love the mountains, but there is something restful about that beach, I will say so. Uh, so it was a lot of fun, was able to do that. The second week, I went up to Flagstaff, Arizona, and uh, it was just, uh, I, I worked on, uh, my family stayed back in Little Rock. I had actually my mother fly in town, which is very interesting, but very fun. Uh, she flew in town. She was working on a book project that she's uh, getting support from. It looks like a potentially Lifeway Research might uh, be working with her. She's a great uh, um, thinker, uh, uh, Christian ministry woman, a fantastic lady. And then I was working on a book of my own. And so I have a, just a sample copy right here. It's called Blessed Hope, 50 Daily Blessings Revealing the Future Return of Jesus Christ. So thank you very much for the time off to do that. I was able to get this just about done, and we should have samples out in the next few weeks. So really pumped about that. And then um, after, after that, um, that week, I, w- I went up, and I was in Flagstaff, Arizona again, and uh, took my camper up the hill and found a great little spot. My wife and I hung out in the back country for several days, and then I prepped for a dog trial. I'm an outdoorsman, a hunter. And uh, I had my dog uh, trial and compete in some competitions up in Flag and had a great time. And literally, while I'm pulling out, then the fire sets loose, you know. So thankfully, uh, uh, we, we didn't get into that. But I had a great time. I was super refreshed and encouraged and great to be back. So um, last but not least on the announcements, I want to share with you our campus updates, uh, campus development um, So as you're driving in that building on the right, we've been praying for power. Uh, Arizona Power Supply said, we don't have power for your building. They told us it would be like a six-month wait. Well, that six months came, and it went. And so by God's grace, thankfully, we do have power now installed. So that is a big praise for that. So uh, just this morning was the first morning I walked into the office, my office area, and I felt air conditioner, and I thought, this is amazing. This is good. This is, 
the only reason people live in Phoenix is because there's air conditioners. So uh, really and truly, the, the Phoenix population like quadrupled in the 1950s when the air conditioner was invented. So uh, anyway, all that to say is we're grateful. You can see campus work out here being done. So um, we're working really hard to open up that building. Uh, we should have a number of uh, inspections and whatnot happening this week. And as soon as we get our C of O, I'll be sure to let you guys know. And then we'll be planning on a grand opening in the fall for that facility. That'll house our, our junior, our uh, upper elementary, our junior high, and our high school, uh, as well as serve as an administration space for our staff team. So thank you all who've been giving faithfully towards that and praying towards that. Uh, it's really encouraging for me to come back and finally to see that uh, project get wrapped up, just about so. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into this uh, new message series today. And I'm going to pray that our Heavenly Father would bless you and reveal His will to you uh, through this message today. Lord Jesus, we come to you, and we thank you that through you we have access to the Father. And so, Lord, we come to you. Uh, and we specifically are requesting knowledge and insight from the heart of you, God our Father, on this Father's Day. You're the perfect Father, the all-loving Father, the all-knowing Father, and you care for us as your children. And so for every man and woman and child who is a believer in Jesus Christ today, Lord, we come to you as the great Father. And we come to you and ask for your guidance, uh, your your divine direction upon our lives in the journey we call the Christian life. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. How many of you have ever been on a journey before, uh, say, for an adventure out in the backcountry or camping or something like that? Would you raise your hand? Okay, most of you have. Um, you know and I know that it's important on your journey that you have some kind of navigation system, that you perhaps if you can read a map, you know how to use a map. Uh, many of us are literally, uh, you know, technologi technologically addicted to this thing, and then we follow it precisely even when it leads us in the wrong direction. How many times have you done that before? Uh, Google's not taking where you where you want to go. Uh, uh, Apple Maps isn't working correctly, and you can get off track. Um, today, what we're going to be looking at is answering this question is basically how to find a divine direction in your life. Uh, maybe you've got some decisions that you need to make in your life. Perhaps a, as a single, you're like, maybe this is the one. You know, you, ever, you guys remember being there? Those of you that are married, like always wondering, who's the one? Is she the one? Is he the one? It's like a wrestling about that. Well, life is filled with ups and downs. Uh, and then uh, there's big decisions to make that really can alter your direction in life. Uh, some of you, perhaps as parents or uh, dealing with some decisions that need to be made regarding your kids. And there's some significant decisions that have some serious impacts on, on your life and on their life. Or perhaps it's a major purchase. Anybody got any big purchases that they're considering right now? You know, it could be a purchase of an acquisition of a business or a certain product. It could be as a, a, a car. It could be an RV. It could be a boat. It could be a home. It could be a second home. It, so all of these things... We have to know that God cares about our direction in our life, and life is a journey. There's ups and downs, and there is, a, I think, a pathway for us to understand and to determine God's will for our life, and we need to hear from Him, and we need to align ourselves 
with his will, the Father's will. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the Gospel of John, John chapter 7, been in the Gospel of John for 30 plus weeks now, and uh, we're going to look at Jesus, and I'm going to show you how Jesus over the course of his life constantly would seek to hear from his heavenly Father and then align his will with God the Father's will. Um, Jesus is in subordination, although he is equal to God the Father. Uh, he is in subordination to the Father's will. In all, many different texts, perhaps you've heard, when Jesus said, it's not my will, Lord, but your will be what? Done. Uh, so there is a, a, a authority, if you will, and Jesus is constantly seeking the, to be in, aligned with God the Father. So let's jump in. In John chapter 7, uh, we're going to be starting this chapter. We'll be in this chapter for a very long time, uh, perhaps for the summer. And uh, I want to refresh your memory. John chapter 6, Jesus has already performed miracles. He fed the 5,000 uh, men, and then not including women and children, so perhaps 15,000. Uh, and it, there has been incredible charisma. People love Jesus, and then all of a sudden Jesus starts teaching. His teaching gets controversial. He begins to get censored. He begins to get canceled. There begins to be frustration and tension. Then all of a sudden Jesus starts to say, you know what, here's what we're doing. We're weeding out true followers of, of me and then fake followers. So the crowd dwindles. And some people are a little concerned about Jesus. They're like, dude, you're losing the crowds. Are you really Messiah? His family is beginning to say, like, if you're really, truly the Messiah, shouldn't you have these crowds? But now you've got hardly anybody following you. John chapter 7, here we go. We're going to place it, read the beginning of the text, and I'll help explain uh, kind of the context that this is going on. It says, after this, after what? After feeding the 5,000. After the big miracles, after the big teaching he did. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee... And he would not go about in Judea because Jews were seeking to kill him. Uh, my Jewish friends, uh, I, I invite them to church from time to time, and they're like, which event is it? I'm like, it's Easter. And they're like, heck no, we can't come to an Easter service because the Jews killed Jesus on Good Friday. I'm like, yeah, but it's Easter. Jesus is resurrected. They're like, no, 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 I can't come. Your friends might hate me. I'm like, no, we won't hate you, you know. But the Jews put, they, they were seeking to kill Jesus, and they are going to have him put to death. Jesus knows this. And now John, the apostle, adds this little commentary note. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. How many of you ever been camping before with a number of people? You had like two or three families show up, set up their tents, or maybe pull up an RV, and then everybody hangs out together. Raise your hand. You've done that before. It's kind of fun, you know? Uh, those of you who draw elk tags or big game, a lot of times you'll invite your friends and buddies and everybody kind of comes together and they're in the outdoors and if they might have to stay out there a week or however long they want to, but it's more fun together. Here's what's going on out here. Um, this is a festival. It's a festival to remember God's providence and his provision, how he led the Israelites through a man named Moses through the wilderness and that he protected them, and they would constantly, when they were on the move, this is, this is a, a way before the time of Jesus Christ, when they were on the move trying to seek and find the promised land, uh, they would build these temporary shelters. And so every year, what they would do 
uh, is that they would build these temporary uh, tents, if you will, or booths or uh, 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 wooden structures, hang out, and then for a week they would have a festival. Like, and celebrating God's divine presence in their life, celebrating that God's provider, and they would do it all in the outdoors. It was actually a requirement for Jewish males to attend this. Josephus, the historian, uh, who noted that this was one of the best and the greatest festivals of all. So it was a very wonderful thing. It was a, a harvest season. Pastor Josh, he comes from a, a, a farm family. Yes, Josh, when's the best time to go back to the farm? It's harvest time. It's just a cool time. And so it was also a celebration of the harvest, uh, of recognizing God's uh, you know, provision upon their life. So this is the festival. Uh, Jesus uh, didn't want to go, and let's see who does. Verse 3 says, So his brothers, Jesus had brothers, said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, your disciples, uh, that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. John adds this comment, For not even his brothers believed in him. You ever uh, had people not believe in you, perhaps when you first became a Christian? You know, I remember when I first became a Christian, I started telling people, I said, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus Christ. They're like, you kidding me? You serious? I'm like, I'm dead serious. And they're like, what about that time you got baptized just so that you could date a Christian girl and you didn't even really mean it? I'm like, well, that did happen. Yes, I did do that. Uh, but it, people didn't believe me when I first became a Christian. I remember telling my, my friends and my family that I was following Jesus Christ. They're like, are you, are you serious? Uh, Jesus' own brothers didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Uh, furthermore, uh, Jesus not only had brothers, he had sisters. In Matthew chapter 13, uh, those of you who are my Catholic friends, you need to realize Jesus had lots of siblings. They weren't cousins. Matthew 13 in the Greek, verse 55 and 56, names them out. James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, and all his sisters. So this annihilates the idea of, of the uh, perpetual virginity from Mary. Uh, that is not true. Jesus was born of a virgin. Uh, he was the firstborn. Uh, his father was God the Father. Jesus is fully divine. Jesus is fully human. And he had lots of brothers and sisters. Um, his brothers and sisters, um, their father was Joseph. And so this is what we see. Uh, these brothers, though, they do not believe in Jesus. However, I will note, they later come to believe in Jesus Christ. So when you open up your Bible and you look at the book of James, that's Jesus' brother, uh, his half-brother uh, through his mom. And James becomes a great church leader in the New Testament, we see. Or how about Jude, the book of Jude? That's Jesus' brother. His full name was Judas, but you can imagine why he would drop the name Judas and be called Jude. If you know what happens with Judas, the apostle, uh, he betrays Jesus. So how many of you guys have ever had a brother, perhaps, uh, that was uh, a, perhaps a favored child or a, a sister? Somebody, you felt like it wasn't favorite. Uh, there, it, wasn't, it wasn't equal. Well, Jesus definitely had this going on. He's the oldest brother. He's perfect. He never sins. He always has the right answers. So perhaps there's a little bit of tension among the siblings. And they're not buying Jesus fully. Verse 6, let's see what happens. 
Jesus, the older brothers, Jesus said to them, who's that, the brothers, my time, help me out, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. What does he mean? What he means is he's, I think he's simply saying is, is that uh, his time for him to go to Jerusalem is not yet. His brothers, they could go whenever they want because nobody's seeking to kill them. Everybody's seeking to kill Jesus, especially the Jews. And so Jesus is saying, my time's not yet come. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because he's keeping in divine direction with the Father. He's hearing from his heavenly Father, and there's an exact time, an exact day, an exact hour that he must lose his life. This is all part of God's divine timetable. Uh, Jesus is concerned about the will of his heavenly Father. He wants to seek and know the will of God. Maybe you want to know the will of God in your life. Maybe you have some questions about what is God's will for my life? Uh, how do I hear from God and how do I align myself with God's purpose and plan for my life? We're going to see Jesus takes five important steps and that you can apply these steps in your life as well. Jesus continues on though and he says, verse 7, the world cannot hate you because it hates me uh, because... The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Its works are evil is referring back to the world. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you brothers who are unbelievers, the world doesn't hate you. The world loves you. Me, I'm Jesus Christ, and the world is, there's evil all in the world, and evil hates righteousness. So Jesus is pointing this out. In verse 8, he says, you go up to the feast. He's speaking to his brothers. He's big brother Jesus, kind of bossing them around perhaps. or giving them very, just some very clear authority. You go to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast. For my time has not yet fully come. He says that again. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Means he didn't go. His brothers went. And when his brothers went, he had a lot of brothers, a lot of sisters. Family went along. It was like a caravan. Ever been on a big family trip? Everybody convenes together or a big family reunion. This is that kind of thing. Verse 10, he says, But after this, his brothers had gone up to the feast. He all, and it says, Then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. Let me pause just for a moment. So Jesus changed his mind, it looks like. It's like he's not going because he doesn't want to get killed. And all of a sudden, now he is going. But notice what it says. He decided not to go publicly but he did want to go privately. He was keeping in step with God's plan. Verse 11, John notes that. He says, the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? Why did the Jews want to know where he was? They wanted to kill him. Said that earlier. Verse 12, and there was much muttering about him among the people. This means all people. Uh, while some said he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. For the Jews... For, the, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. It was a nice festival. It was a party. And nobody wanted a murder scene at the party. Uh, the Jews did, but everybody else didn't. It was a nice festival. And there was kind of a hush-hush tone. Very, everybody's quiet about this. They don't want to talk about it because it's so controversial. But Jesus did go. He does go to the festival. And over the next several weeks, we're going to see how he integrates into this festival. But this morning, I want to pause for a moment and ask the question, how do you think that Jesus knew God's will for his life, the Heavenly Father, 
what did he do? What are five steps for us, you and me, to hear from God today and then align our will with God's will? Number one, I would say, I think Jesus got neutral. And I think if we're going to hear from God and know his will for our lives, we need to get neutral. What do I mean by that? I mean this phrase right here, when Jesus said it like this later in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, he says, Father, if you're willing, would you remove the cup from me? Talking about the cross, the crucifixion. Nevertheless, help me finish this. Not my will, but yours be done. What a, what a great passage. Meaning, Jesus had to pause for a moment. He's praying to his heavenly father and saying, I'm not going to press forward in this if I don't have to. I'm not going to back out of this. Uh, just on my own desire, I'll do whatever you want. Have you ever been in, a, in an argument with your spouse before, somebody you love tremendously, and then you say these words, just tell me what you want. I'll do whatever you want. Like your heart is, right? Listen, your heart is like you care. And the heart is, is like you just want to serve them and make them happy. It's not like you're playing all cute or clever. You're just literally, but you come to a frustration point, and you're like, what, what do you want? That's what I'll do. I just want to help you. Jesus comes to this place with the Father where he is literally, the Bible says he's sweating droplets of blood. His anxiety is so intense. And medical experts have said that this can absolutely happen in this intensity of excruciation through the, all the, the, the anguish that he is under, the tremendous stress and anxiety, that he's sweating droplets of blood. And then he comes to this neutrality place. And he gets neutral before God. What do you want? That's what I'll do. Um, I think Jesus, before going up to that feast, I think he took a little time to pause for a moment and consult with his heavenly father. You want me to go? Should I go? Because if he was to go with his brothers at their invitation, it would have been a public caravan and perhaps the Jews would have said, there he is right there, let's take him out. But Jesus had a divine timeline to follow. Did you know there's a divine timeline on your life? Did you know that you can follow God's will or you cannot follow God's will? That's your decision. What are you going to do? How do you get in line with God's divine timetable in your life? How do you know God's will and hear from Him and then get in line with that? Because being in line with God's divine timetable, that's where blessing comes. Number one, you get neutral. Meaning like, if you want to go forward on a decision, before you go forward on that decision, you stop for a moment and you put it in neutral. See, I got a four by four, or should I say, I did have a four by four. Got in a terrible car accident, totaled my Tacoma. Somebody pulled out in front of us. Thankfully, we're alive. 60 miles an hour spinning around in oncoming traffic. However, let me tell you some old stories with the Tacoma. So if I want to go four by fouring up a big mountain, so there's a moment in time in the 4x4, four four, you, you, you get to the, the bottom of the mountain and then you put it in neutral only to get to 4 low. 4 low requires neutral. Here's my point. I think in the Christian life, when we're going to tackle some of the biggest and the hardest things that we've ever faced, or perhaps even some smaller details, but they, look, they feel like they need some attention, a big mountain in front of us, it's required of us if we're seeking to honor God is to get it into neutral, not to just drive it straight up that hill, not to face that project, not to take on that relationship. Put it into neutral and then consult with the Lord. 
Uh, Jesus got neutral when he was about to face the cross. He says, not my will, but yours be done. But if there is a way I can reverse out of this, I'm out. But I'm not going to do that. I'll do whatever you want. And God the Father said, put it in drive. Go forward. That's what you're going to do. You'll be a you will be a sacrifice. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was God the Father's plan for Jesus. See, God's got a plan for your life and in order for you to know what it is, what decision that you need to make, you need for every little decision, every purchase that you make, all the big decisions that you make, and you know and I know so many times we just make decisions without really consulting is this God's will for my life. Um, here's what I want to encourage you to do to get neutral. I would encourage you very practically just to make a pros and cons list. If you make this decision, maybe it's a purchase. Maybe it's a new relationship. Maybe it's a new venture. Maybe it's a new ministry. Uh, if you're going to do this, just take a moment, get neutral. Don't make your decision. Just say, well, if I do this, here are the advantages of doing this. If I don't do this, or if I do this, what are the disadvantages? Just the pros and cons list for each idea. Moving forward or not doing it, pros and cons. Always write out a pros and cons. God says that the greatest commandment in all the Bible is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. Don't ever forget, your mind is a very powerful tool. I think it's the primary way in which people connect with God. But you've got to get your heart connected to your mind, and you've got to get your mind and your heart connected to God. So write out a pros and cons list. I'd say gather all the facts. What are the facts about the situation that you're in? Do the research. In business school, we would always say, you know, that if you just do enough research and find the facts, the answer will just naturally pop out at you. Just, you don't always have tons of time, but I'd say gather the facts Additionally, I would just say evaluate the circumstances. The circumstances always change in life. And so many times there's people or there's projects or there's opportunities or things that come into our pathway and we're like, wow, that's really cool. What a neat coincidence. Well, I would say that's God's divine providence often be the case and that you should see those circumstances as God's provision for you in that. Some of you might have a financial decision and you sense on your heart that you want to make this purchase but you don't have the finances to do the project or to make the purchase. But then at just at the right time, it's like God presents a financial opportunity for you. Or it could be a relationship where you're in a relationship and you're like, man, I think we need to go into this direction of our relationship. And just at the right time, God provides a godly friend to speak up about that relationship to give you the insight that you need about that relationship. Don't ever dismiss how God uses the circumstances to reveal His will. Number two, step number two. After you get neutral, I'd just say talk to God. Take your little pros and cons list. Uh, take, make sure you've evaluated all the facts. Uh, look at the circumstances. You're in neutral. Lord, you want me to press forward on this? You want me to go in reverse? You want me to take the left? You want me to take a right? This is what you talk to Him about. Um, research says that women say about 20,000 words a day and men say about six to 7,000 uh, words a day. Uh, this is why perhaps in prayer meetings about talking to God, who comes when the prayer meeting is offered? I'm asking, who comes? 
The women, a lot of the women come. Um, and I would encourage this, men, if you're not talking to God, it's going to be hard for you to hear his voice. This is why perhaps so many times women are so uh, spiritually perceptive because they're talking to God more. Um, it's hard for us. The Bible says you, you have not because you ask not. Uh, the Bible says, uh, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. When we talk to God, it, it, it's giving ourselves the opportunity to talk to our Heavenly Father. And I think perhaps maybe if you didn't have a good dad, and it's hard for you to uh, think about Father's Day, it can skew your view about your Heavenly Father. But you need to think about your Heavenly Father as a really, really good dad who would love to hear from his kids. I think oftentimes when my kids come to me, and as long as I know it's not sinful or wrong, and they say, Dad, can we or can I do this? 90% of the time, my answer is, sure, you can do that. If it's not a clear violation of, sin, or of Scripture or sin, I think the heart of the Father is this to you. You want to do that? Sure. I'd love to help out. I'd love to see you experience that. As long as it's not violating the Scripture, I want to challenge you to talk to God. This is how I became a Christian. I was talking to God. Psalms 116, 1-2. The Bible says, I love the Lord. This is a psalmist. I connect with this. He says, I love the Lord because He heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because He inclined His ear to me. Therefore, I will call on Him as long as I live. The reason why I pray is because God hears my voice. The reason why I pray is because He changed my life. The reason why I pray is because I really believe God hears my prayers. Uh, you can come to the Lord with your issues, with your challenges, with your potential directions and your asking the question, is this the direction I should go? Should I take on this project? Should I do this relationship? My challenge to you is talk to the Lord. He hears your voice and He understands your pleas for mercy. When you screw up and you mess up, the Bible says God's mercy is new every single day. Therefore, as a result of that, you can be in good company and know that you can call on Him as long as you live. Thirdly, I would say that you read the Bible. Um, if you read the Bible, uh, and the Bible has so much truth in it to help you make decisions that are of, of your Christian ethics and morals, uh, it doesn't tell you every uh, uh, answer, perhaps, that you want. Some singles may come to the Bible and say, who do I marry? And they open the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell you the name of the person you should marry, but the Bible does tell you the kind of person you should marry. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell you if you should make that purchase on that situation or not, but the Bible tells you how to handle money and tells you how that you should be a steward of all your resources. And so whatever decision that is before you, read the Scriptures. This is exactly what Jesus did. He would walk into moments in time and events in His life and He would say, today the Word of God is fulfilled in your hearing. Today. He was so saturated with the Scripture, it's like He's a walking divine uh, Scripture fulfillment, prophetic fulfillment in everything He was doing. When you're full of God's Word, it gives you the confidence and the courage to make better decisions. When you're full of the Word of God, you know right and wrong far more. 
uh, when you're full of the Word of God, your decision-making process is exponentially faster than everybody else's because you know the truth. The people that don't have strong uh, sense of God's word, there's a lot of question. There's a lot of uh, 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 delay. And we live in a time where there's like a, a, a analysis, a, a paralysis of analysis. There's so many options on so many different things that we could do. Uh, and so uh, reading the scripture gives you that clarity. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, according to Psalms 119, uh, 105. Um, God will never contradict His will for your life uh, in Scripture. If you sense God's leading you to do something, you need to know the, it, if it's contradicted in Scripture, that's not God's will. I've heard some people say, well, I believe God's leading me to marry uh, a Muslim person or a person of a different faith that's antithetical to the Scripture. And I would say, God's not leading you to do that. The Bible doesn't say that kind of thing at all. The Bible talks about being equally yoked. Or somebody says, well, I feel like God's calling me to, to go into debt over this issue, and then their life is a train wreck of financial bad decisions. God's leading me to do it. No, I doubt he's leading you to do that. Or how about this? How horrendous is this? Oh, well, uh, I love that person, and that person loves me. And even though they're married, I feel like it's God's plan and purpose for my life. That's not God. That's Satan. You're very confused. So my point is, is that God's word will never contradict the promptings or the intuition that you have about a certain direction in your life. God's word, if it speaks of the subject, it will affirm it very clearly. But it will never contradict um, it will never contradict uh, what, whatever direction you may be going. Number four, step four, I would challenge you, listen to wise counsel. Listen to wise counsel. Uh, right now, this is an area in my life that I'm asking for a lot of wise counsel on. Uh, many of you know that I have uh, addressed at some level the Deer Valley Unified School District, uh, the local school, Sandra Day O'Connor, and, um, and I'm working in good posture and the best I can with uh, the steps that are laid out before me, but I'm addressing the topic of some of the teaching that's coming through, I will say at least for what I know, of a psychology and sociology and upper levels of education in the high school system. There's, uh, I need wise counsel. I need wise counsel on how people are supposed to dialogue with an entire district. Um, to my knowledge, uh, gender fluidity, meaning you can swap genders at any point in time, has been taught uh, that I have seen. Comprehensive sex education is being taught. Social-emotional learning is being taught. Critical race theory is being taught. Safe space zones is being taught. Replacement theory is being taught. And if you don't understand all those terms, you better get educated. So I'm seeking wise counsel right now not to just temper that teaching in the Deer Valley Unified School District. I'm seeking, my goal is to completely eliminate it 100%. And the only way that's going to happen is with probably some wise counsel. So legal support, people that have done that before. Um, you need to know I'm a public school guy. I grew up in the public school system. I went to a public university. I sent my kids from kindergarten all the way they will graduate from O'Connor uh, public school. I'm not anti-public school. I'm anti-teaching what is antithetical to the scriptures, and I think we have freedom of religion 
and freedom of speech. And I believe those are our children, not the government's children or any school's children. Those are the children of the mother and the father. Amen. Hallelujah. Somebody say it. And so, you know, I have to seek wise counsel. Why? Because or else I'll be labeled a bigot, a fundamentalist, be ostracized, and so be it. Um, but in life, you cannot go through life and face the challenges that you may seem to think that God is leading you to tackle if you don't have wise counsel. Here's what the Bible says. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Some of you need financial advice. You need financial experts in your life telling you what to do. We could all learn from that. Some of us need medical advice. You listen to the doctor. Listen to what he has to say. He went to school for it. Well, what if he's not Christian? So what? The Bible says all truth is God's truth. That was St. Augustine's uh, big claim to fame, which was awesome. Uh, some of you need uh, uh, marriage counseling. Seek wise counsel. Uh, some of you uh, need to get help with just being healthy. Seek a pastor, a, a, a counselor, a, a psychiatrist, a psychologist. Some of you need help just in, from, a, from, from a godly friend, just more mature. And so seeking wise counsel. For me, it's seeking legal counsel and understanding how the district works and what's the role of a parent. And I'm tackling it not only as a parent, but as a pastor who cares for our community. There's 35,000 children in that district. And to me, I get it. Many of you have pulled your kids out of the public school system. And I think what is coming, there'll be the largest exodus in the public school system ever in Arizona history in the next 12 to 24 months. Unless there's a change. And so I need wise counsel. Um, this is happening all across our nation. And um, I pray that there can be some great public schools that don't teach these funky doctrines and ideas and, and whatnot. But number five, I would challenge you, just like I have, always step out in faith. Jesus at some point stepped out in faith when he went to that cross. Not my will, but your will be done. You need to step out in faith. And the faith step that you may take might not end very good. But it's good because it's God's plan. So what do you do? Here's what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's what you do. You, you, you do all the other steps, like I told you, but you trust in the Lord with all your heart. You lean not on your own understanding. That means that you're getting other people involved to speak truth into the situation. You lean not on just your own understanding. You've got other people around you. In all your ways, you acknowledge him. In every circumstance that pops up, God, I see your hand of provision there. That's cool. In all your ways, in everything you do, you acknowledge him and he'll make straight your paths. In other words, he'll give you the direction that you're looking for. But at the end of the day, go back to the very beginning of the verse, trust. So that means you have to step out in faith. I'm going to tell you a story in closing. When we were praying some 10, 11 years ago about where we would plant a church in the world, uh, I remember sitting at a table in Garland, Texas at the time. We were wrapping up seminary. And um, 
I was working on two master's programs. We had two little kids about, they were age about two and a half, two, something like that. Anyway, we're sitting down there. We got a big map of the whole world and we're praying about different cities around the world. We are invited through circumstances by a friend. Once we started praying, where in the world should we start a church? Invited within a week to Madrid, Spain. So we spend the next couple of years prepping for Madrid, Spain. It was a divine opportunity. We said, God, we'll go anywhere you want. We'll do whatever you want to do. Invited with a really neat opportunity. We took it. We started running through that process. At the end of the journey, I'll say this. God closed the door very clearly. Here's how I knew that, ladies and gentlemen. Those of you that are married, listen to this. My wife is a godly woman. She loves the Lord, and she's so sweet. She let me go down this path for a very long time. I come back come to my senses, and she says, I knew that all along. <laughs> and I said, how long did you know? She said, I knew it a long time. I knew, but I wanted you to go through that process, but I, I'm so glad we're not going to plan a church in Madrid. And so we didn't know exactly where we were going to go. I, I go to Phoenix, Arizona on a trip. I got invited, said, Lord, provide an opportunity for me to go somewhere else to visit went uh, out to uh, Phoenix. One of the first people I met was Dr. Uh, Daryl Delhousse, pastor of Scottsdale Bible at the time, or just retired, and the active president of Phoenix Seminary. Walk into his office, and within five minutes, there was just a spirit of uh, brokenness and complete peace in my heart. And I walked out of there and I said, I'm going to start a church in Phoenix, Arizona. I called my wife and I said, sweetie, I, I really believe God just used uh, Pastor Daryl to confirm our calling in our life. We loaded up the U-Haul, we got the dogs, we got our kids, and we set out on an adventure. And this September, we'll celebrate 10 years of this church growing and thriving, and we're so proud of seeing how God works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for everybody here. They need Your divine direction. I can't tell them what to do unless it's in Your Word. But Lord, You're a good Father and You want to hear from them. And so I pray, Father, with whatever decisions that they got to make, big or small, I pray that they would just increase their talking with You. They would hear from You You'd wake them up in the middle of the night and just whisper to them exactly what to do. Whatever situation that they face, whatever family relationship dynamic or big financial decision, medical decision, Lord, you're a good God and you care about it all. Thank you for the truthfulness of your scripture, the example we find in Jesus Christ, and the hope that we have in the Holy Spirit. We pray even now for your Holy Spirit to draw all those who aren't sure if they really know you or if they're really saved. Draw them right now to salvation. Draw them to a decision to say, I trust in you. I'll walk with you. I'll live for you. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of my sins. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. And Father, for us all, we just pray again, would you renew our encouragement, our passion, our love for you, the word. And that on this Father's Day, that we would look up and say, you're the greatest father of all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. 
If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.